Good morning. It is a great honor to, to be here. Thank you for the opportunity to, to share this morning from the scriptures. I, I actually, I was, I was between about five different messages that are really on my heart that I want to share. And um, just at the last moment here, I was asked what, what message I was going to share. What's the main point? So they, uh, they know how to title it on Facebook Live. Um, and so I was forced to decide, and I just, uh, I guess I'm going to go with this right here, because this is what I'm, I'm just, I'm feeling, I'm battling with in my own life, and, uh, and so 1 Kings chapter 19, open your Bibles up to 1 Kings chapter 19, and uh, I guess by way of introduction, um, let me share what's happened, really since the last time uh, Amy and I uh, visited here with our, our littlest Elia about uh, nine months ago or so. I think it was it was March. Um, I think it was March when we, we were able to visit here and get to know uh, meet many of you, and it was a it was a special time for us. Since then, we were planning on heading back to Peru. We've been uh, working in Peru as missionaries for about uh, 18 years, and just pouring all of our energies and uh, abilities and time and money and blood and sweat and tears into the ministry in Peru for all of these years. And you, you begin, you just, you love the people and you've poured everything in. And then after all of these years, and we're planning on going back, we're just here for a few months to, to share at a couple of different conferences, and, and, uh, and the doors were open to preach in some different assemblies and just encourage the Lord's people, and then planning on going back, and the Lord just really made it clear that um, He wants us to be in the States at least for a few years. And I just feel like my heart has been torn out. And uh, I've just I've spent the last uh, maybe five or six months dealing and battling with that. And it, it's been hard. Um, let me tell you a little bit, of, I guess, about how how things started. I, I preached in an assembly. I think it was in Connecticut. I didn't know anyone there. I got done preaching. I went and sat down in the back and uh, and a brother came up to me that I didn't know. He didn't know me. I didn't hardly know anybody there. A brother came up and he said, uh, Brother Mike, I, I don't know you, but I just really feel like the Lord is telling me to tell you, why don't you consider staying in the States for a few years, encouraging assemblies and, and young people, especially in the areas of evangelism and discipleship and church planting, missions. And I looked at him and I said, you're crazy. I'm going back to Peru. The Lord told you to tell me that. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Um, that night, I preached in a different assembly in New York and I got done preaching I sat down in the back and a brother comes up to me and he says brother Mike I don't know you but I really feel like the Lord is telling me to tell you why don't you consider staying in the states for a few years encouraging the assemblies and, and, and young people and as far as evangelism discipleship church planting missions go and I said that's what the guy said this morning you guys are all crazy. I'm going back to Peru. I love Peru. I'm going back there. And, uh, and so Wednesday night, I'm preaching at a different assembly in New Jersey. And I sit down in the back, and this guy comes up to me, and I'm like, I know what you're going to say. 
But he goes, you know, I don't know you, but I just, I feel like the Lord is telling me that I should tell you, why don't you consider staying in the States for a few years, encouraging assemblies, young people, evangelism, discipleship, missions. And, and I was like, what? God, are you, are you like sending me prophets or is this real? And the next Sunday morning, I preach in another church in Philadelphia. These, these people don't even know each other. They're far away from each other. I sit down in the back and, it, and this time I sit down in the back and I'm like looking around. <laughs> Where's the prophet coming from? And sure enough, guy comes up and he just verbatim exactly the same thing. And this time I just sat down. I just cried. Lord, I don't want I don't want to be here. I want to go back to Peru. I've poured my life into Peru and the brothers and sisters from the jungle to the coast to the mountains and all over the place. And I I I love what what you've done there, Lord, and I want to continue to be a part of it. And I, I just I don't want to be in the states. Yeah, I just so I've been dealing with this and struggling with it. And it's not that I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for what the Lord has put in front of us in the ministry, and I've, I'm excited about what the Lord's already doing. It's it's been it's been an exciting time to be a part of it. Um, other brothers actually have uh, been able to talk to him. I don't know if uh, Nate Bramson has visited here, but he, we were together at a conference and he said he was feeling the exact same thing. And he's moving from Niger. He's actually uh, now married and they're going to be living in Dubuque, Iowa, um, next to us. And, uh, and then uh, uh, some other, other brothers and sisters that the Lord has brought and a team is forming. And it's exciting to be a part of what the Lord's doing and um, so it's not that I'm not excited about what's happening or what, what we have in front of us. It's just, I feel like my heart's been ripped out and I want to be in Peru. And really I've struggled, uh, to a certain extent with, uh, uh, spiritual depression. Um, and so this passage in first Kings 19, you see the prophet Elijah, uh, it seems struggling with depression. And, and he finds himself lodged in this cave. And, and it's like he can't get out of the cave. He's doing cave time. And I just feel like in some ways I, I can relate. Not that I at all am like Elijah. But Elijah, he just came from Mount Carmel in First Kings chapter 18. And, and, and the guy called down fire from heaven. And he just destroyed the false gods, Baal and Asherah and all of the false prophets in this great victory. And it seems like this revival is going to start in Israel. And this is exciting. And then all of a sudden you get into chapter 19 and he just tumbles deeper and deeper into this pit of depression. And so I want to read... Chapters or chapter 19 verses 1. I think we'll go to 15. I might get excited as I'm reading and just stop. And, but uh, let me read. I'm reading from the ESV. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. 
Then he was afraid, and he arose, and he ran for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. I'll just, I'm going to stop right there. Something that I want to point out here, I guess in the context, I already said, he just saw this great victory, spiritually speaking, on Mount Carmel. And then all of a sudden, it's like out of nowhere, this spiritual depression hits him. And, and, and you're going to see, I'm going to go through all these points, and it's, it's like a 14-point sermon. I don't know how we're going to arrive. I'll just try not to look at the elders. Um, I know you got a meeting afterwards, but um, depression's it's unpredictable. And, and I, I'm saying this because as human beings, we're emotional people made in God's image and all these emotions and we're complicated and maybe some of you are are struggling with depression at one level or another or just with uh, the different things that are happening in your life and you found yourself you're lodged in a pit and and I just really think this applies so much I mean to my just everywhere I go I preach to myself and you guys have to listen but maybe something will have to do with what you're going through. And you're going to see in this passage, depression, it's unpredictable. It can be a result of stress. It's irrational. Uh, depression causes people to run from their problems. It, oftentimes it causes us to isolate ourselves. Um, depression can even make you suicidal. Um, it, it's debilitating. Um, it, it also makes you critical of other people. Oftentimes, it actually it exaggerates the problem. It's, it makes the problem bigger than it actually is. And you see all of these things right here. And so the first thing, it, unpredictable. It just comes out of nowhere, it seems, in the life of Elijah right here. He just had this great victory. And it comes out of nowhere. And I, I, I mean, I, I think it just really points to we're in a spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual battle. And right here, Israel's kind of on the cusp of of a possible revival. And the devil wants to squelch that revival. And he goes right at the, the preacher here, Elijah, who's seen this great victory, and, and Satan comes with his attacks out of nowhere and tries to douse that revival flame. God's servants are under assault. He's blindsided by bad news, and it just sent him into this downward spiral. Um, I used to preach open air every Monday morning in the uh, in the market of uh, of Tarapoto and yeah, our, our our town there. And it was interesting. Every time after I'd preach, and there would be these crowds that would gather and listen, I'd go home afterwards, and I would get deathly not deathly. I would get very sick. I mean, I was in bed. I couldn't get up. Fevers and every it was strange. Every morning, I didn't realize it until after a couple of weeks in a row. This happens every Monday after I preach, and sometimes the Lord really uses it, and there, there's tremendous response in talking with individuals, and, and, and it seems, and I just, I, I called my dad actually, I was talking to him on the phone about it, and, and my dad, he, he just said, you're probably under spiritual attack. I didn't even think of that. But my dad started praying for me every Monday morning, and after that, never happened again. 
But we're in a spiritual battle. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. The other day I was preaching open air in San Francisco, and uh, this guy came up and he wanted to brawl. And uh, it, it, was, it was interesting afterward. Amy actually interceded for me, and, and she saved my life. Uh, she started sharing the gospel with this guy, and it was, it was interesting. But afterwards, talking with this guy, Amy was already talking with him. I got done preaching. I went over and talked also. And, and the guy, as we were talking, I said, don't you? He was going through all these problems in his life and everything. I, I said, don't you see what's going on? The devil's just putting ideas in your head. He's attacking you from all angles. It's just twisted every, all of your thoughts. And, and look, at he's destroying your life. And he looks at me and he goes, yeah, it's just like the screw tape letters. I was like, what? You've read the screw tape letters? <laughs> I don't know if you've read that book by C.S. Lewis. It recommended. It's like one demon giving advice to his apprentice demon on how to keep uh, the guy that he's assigned to to coming to Christ and just trying to put ideas in his head. And it really talks about the spiritual battle in which we find ourselves. But uh, depression, it's unpredictable, and it, and it comes out of nowhere, and it's part of the spiritual battle. Another thing that you see in this, these verses 1 through 3, probably in the context, depression can come from stress. Come from stress. I mean, Elijah here, his emotions, he's on this emotional roller coaster, probably a lot of pressure on him trying to lead this nation back to the Lord. He's exhausted probably after what he just went through on Mount Carmel. There's fear now. Jezebel wants to go after him and he's, she's like, you're dead, man. Within 24 hours, you're dead. And, and so he's scared. The, again, the emotional roller coaster, all of these things, a lot of stress on the guy. You know, when I, I'll do river trips, I just was in Peru for the last month and I went on this tremendous trip and I just I got all these disciples together. Everywhere I went, I picked up a couple more guys that went with me. And, and it was a tremendous time. And every time I go on these trips, especially in the jungle, I go from village to village and I'm slogging through the mud to get to the next village, sometimes hiking with the 50-pound pack on the back for, for like 10 hours, sometimes going to the next village and swimming rivers and, and there's snakes and, there's, and I'm dealing with big problems sometimes in the villages and, and then I'm going hut to hut doing evangelism and open-air evangelism and, and meeting with brothers and sisters sometimes into the wee morning hours and dealing with big problems. And I mean, I'm slaying dragons. I'm taking down giants. And then I get home. And I've been sleeping like two hours a day for the last month. And, and then I get home. And it's just like, all I want to do is curl up in a corner and go to sleep. And, and, and I know as soon as I open up that door, my kids are going to come running and they're going to jump on top of me and they're just going to want to wrestle. And, and I just want to be alone. <laughs> I want to talk to him. I'm dirty and I'm exhausted. And I just saw a great victory. And I get home and all of a sudden, I'm like irrational. Uh, I, I don't respond the way that I should. I kind of, I take some of the problems that I was just dealing with, I take them with me, and, and the stress, and, and it just sometimes can take me into a downward spiral, the emotional roller coaster. Another thing here is uh, depression is irrational. 
I already I mentioned that, but look at this. It it says there in uh, in verse two, Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, "So may the gods do to me all, and more also, if I do not make your life as one as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow." Talking about the life of of the the false prophets who were slain uh, there after the fire came down from Mount Carmel, but uh, totally irrational. He. He's afraid here of Jezebel, who just swears on the gods. The gods? He was just on Mount Carmel, and the true and living God of the Bible, Yahweh, pronounced judgment on these gods, the very gods that Jezebel's swearing on. He should have heard that. He should have just laughed. The gods? Baal? Asherah? who were just destroyed by the true and living God there on Mount Carmel, you're swearing on the gods that aren't even real gods? But here, Elijah, it's just the, the stress and the unpredictable, the, the spiritual battle, the, the, the depression. That's, it's, it's just depression is irrational. He, he should have known that God would protect him. He was one against 850 the day before. And now he's one against a girl. Jezebel. And he, he's just like, he's, he can't think straight. He, he's totally irrational here. He should have known that God would protect him. You know, I, I read this and I wrote it down. We tend to write our feelings in stone and write God's blessings in the sand. Or write God's victories in our life in the sand. For some reason, we just let ourselves be controlled by our emotions. And that's a huge thing that I want to bring out here. Don't let yourself be controlled by your emotions. We need to write God's victories in our lives, His blessings that He's given us. Write them in stone. Our emotions, you write them in the sand. Easily erased. But so often, it's, it's the other way around. Why do we do that? We write our emotions in, in, in stone and write God's blessings in the sand. It shouldn't be that way. Another thing here that I want to point out, depression causes you to run from life's problems. Once again, he's afraid. He arose. He ran. Verse 3, he ran for his life. He came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. So he runs from his problems. And once again, he's running from a girl. What is he doing here? He let his emotions control him and he began to run. The nature of depression is to avoid our problems. And maybe you're going through something really hard right now in life. Don't run from it. You gotta, you gotta face it. You gotta deal with those problems. And here we see Elijah, he's running. He's marked by fear. He, he, he went from ministry to misery. Look at this guy, I mean, the great Elijah, the great Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. And here, look at how he's just spiraled down into this, this depression. Another thing here at the end of verse 3, it says, and he left his servant there. Depression oftentimes causes us to isolate ourselves. He's isolating himself. We need each other. I need you. I need the body of Christ. And you need the body of Christ. I'm not part of this local assembly. I'm part of the universal church. But you guys, you need each other. 
one guy's going through really hard things, the rest of you guys, you gather around him, you help him. And you that you're going through difficult times, don't isolate yourself. He left his servant there. Some of the commentators think that this is probably Elisha pre-anointing, pre-prophet Elisha. We don't know. But the thing is here, he leaves his buddy. He needed him. We need each other. If my Bible here, if I, if I go to, through it, I just, I rip out this page right here. Does that change my Bible? If I rip out a page? Don't worry, it's not real. It's a piece of paper. <laughs> Illustration. But if, if I rip a page out of my Bible, it changes my Bible. I'm reading 1 Kings 19 and 1 Kings 21. Where's chapter 20? Something in the story, something's missing. You rip yourself out of the local church, you, you're just going to spiral deeper and deeper and deeper into that, into that depression and that problem, that cave, that hole. The church needs you, and you need the church. Don't rip yourself out. And here you've got Elijah, the great prophet. He leaves his servant. He just goes into this. He runs into this desert of depression, isolating himself. So he's in a spiritual battle. He's stressed out. He's irrational. He's running from his problems, and now he's isolating himself. Um. I wrote here, no, I won't say that. The next thing, verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Depression can make you feel even suicidal. You've got a great man of God, and he actually... He wants to die. He's just telling God, take my life. Am I, I'm no better than my father's. And some of the commentators think that maybe God had revealed to him that he was going to be raptured, taken up in this whirlwind of fire and chariots of horses, chariots of fire and horses and everything. And, and maybe here he's just like, God, look at me. And he realizes, and you, when you're in that pit of depression, you just realize, what am I doing here? How, I just, I know this is wrong. I know my attitude is wrong, but God, I just, I can't get out. I can't get out of this pit. I can't get out from underneath the juniper tree or the broom tree. God, it's just, I'm no better than any of the other prophets that went before. They all died and you've told me that you're going to rapture me up in this whirlwind of fire and chariots and horses and who am I? I'm no better than my... Just kill me now. Take my life away. I don't know. I don't know if that was revealed, but he says this, this thing. I'm no better than my father's. But, you know, it's interesting. Jonah. Uh, I, I think I preached on Jonah when I was here last. But it, Jonah, he was sitting underneath a plant and wanted to die. And here you got Elijah sitting underneath a tree and wants to die. Depression make you feel suicidal this is the prophet of prayer he's known as the prophet of prayer in the new testament he's famous for for praying 
A great example, the New Testament uses him, James, the book of James uses him as the example of the prophet that prayed and God moved. God did things. He shut up the heavens when he prayed and he prays again and God pours down rain. Here is, behold the prophet of prayer. And look at what his petition is. Take my life. This is, this is, is, is the petition of the, the great prophet of prayer. I wrote here, a pathetic, pouting, poor, pitiful prophet. What a sad, sad situation. Sometimes I just look at myself and I'm like, look at my attitude. It's just totally wrong. Look at the great victories that I was seeing just the other day in ministry. And now, look at my attitude. How has how this happened? And then in verse 5, in verse 5, he lay down and he slept under that broom tree. Depression is debilitating. Sometimes you get in bed and you just don't want to get back out. Some of you sleep too much and it's because you're depressed. Try to escape from our problems. And here he's running from his problems. He's irrational in a spiritual battle. He's stressed out and he just... I just want to sleep the rest of my life. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to face my problems. And he's sleeping under the juniper tree. But then look at this. I love this. At the end of that same verse, verse 5, and then going through 8, he lay down and he slept. And behold, an angel touched him. And he said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and he touched him and he said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that food for forty days and forty nights to Oreb, the mount of God. I love this. Here the prophet, he's gone to sleep on God. He's gone to sleep on God. And he's going through this whole process. He's irrational. He's stressed out. He, he's not the same guy with that daring, courageous faith of the, the chapter before. And he's gone to sleep on God. But God, in His gentleness and His love, He sends an angel, touched by an angel. Do they still have that? TV show? Touched by an angel. And God just gently sends the angel, touches him. Wake up. Micah, wake up. You've fallen asleep on me. You're running from your problems. You're irrational. You're fearful of something. You've seen my great power and the victory on Mount Carmel. Wake up. Wake up. And he just gently touches him. And he actually, he gives him this, this powerful pastry. And, and, he, and he eats it. And then he goes to sleep on God again. But God in his patience and mercy and grace, he touches him again. How about another powerful pastry? Wakes him up. Wake up. You got to get out of this funk. You wake up. Come on. And God gives him the powerful pastry again. And then he, he, he gets up and he goes in the strength of that food. Forty days and forty nights. 
God's the only one that can fill your tank. He's the only one that can encourage you in the moment of great depression. In the moment of intense spiritual battle. God is there and just gently, instead of just, you know, yelling at him, what are you doing, you stupid idiot? No. And he even says, the journey is long. The journey is really long. Life. Life is short, but it's also long. It's a long mother's. You're raising children. You raise those kids for 18 years or 20 years, and, and then they're gone, and, and it's fast. We got our two oldest boys just left home, and they're on their own. It's just, I feel like everything's just, my heart's being ripped out in different ways. Oh, my boys, they're gone. And it goes so fast. But at the same time, 20 years is a long time. The journey is long. And you need God to strengthen you to make that journey. And then it's like he gets this energy to go 40 days and 40 nights. And who knows how far away he is from Oreb. But it says here that, that he goes to Mount Oreb, the Mount of God. You know, I think, I think as he gets that energy God infuses into him, he just thinks... I'm, I'm depressed, I'm down, this is hard, the Lord has encouraged me, thank you Lord, but still, it's still, I don't know how to get over this. The only thing I know is, I've got to get to the mount of God. I've got to just get myself in His presence. Just prostrate myself before Him and seek God. Mount Oreb is the same place as Sinai. It's used interchangeably in the Old Testament. Oreb, Sinai, same place where, where Moses got the Ten Commandments. And he's just like, I'm going. I'm going to the Mount of God. I don't know how to get out of this problem. God's encouraged me, but I still, I need, I need God and God alone. And he runs to Mount Oreb. So the next thing in verse 9. He came, there he came to a cave. And he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Those words are monumental. What are you doing here? What are you doing in that cave? You, got it. you just came to the mount of God and as soon as you got there, you lodged yourself in a cave. You got to get out of the cave. What are you doing there? Oreb, good. Cave, bad. Even the strongest of Christians can get lodged in a cave. He went from this mountaintop experience on Carmel, and then he went down into this deep pit hole of depression. God's just encouraged him. He just awakened him. Gets to the mount of God. I know i got to get myself in his presence. And as soon as he gets there, he lodges himself in a cave. And look at verse 10. And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. I think, I see here, 
depression makes you critical of everyone else. He's like, God, I'm, I'm the only one. I've been so zealous. I've been preaching. I've been working. I've been trying so hard in the ministry, in this church, and just everyone else is dead. Everyone else spiritually, nobody. I'm, I'm the only one. And, and he just starts, he's, he's critical of everyone else. I'm sure that he was hoping for revival at Mount Carmel. And he walked away and he's like, everybody liked the show, all the fire and fireworks. That was incredible. But after a couple of days, hearts aren't changed. God, I thought you were going to spark a revival. But I'm the only one. And he's just, you, you see this kind of critical, and he, and, he, and he kind of echoes these same things again, verse, uh, verse 14. He says the exact same thing. This is his, his criticism, his complaint before, that he just sets before God. And you know, in the Psalms, we got the psalmists all the time. They're just, they're putting their complaints before God. And it's not wrong. Put your petitions and your complaints and difficulties before the Lord. Cry out to Him. God, I don't understand. I thought you were going to spark a revival. I thought exciting things were going to happen, but it's just, it's not happening. Why? But at the same time there, you see, he's critical of others. And he's also this guy, he seems like he's just lost his zeal. He's full of doubt. Sometimes ministry is disappointing. Sometimes God just doesn't do what you think he was going to do. He's got symptoms of give up-itis. I put here. Sometimes you've got, remember at one point several years ago when we were starting a new church in the jungle and, and uh, is, there was problems in the church. There, there, there were problems in the churches along the river. There, there were problems with other missionaries. Uh, there were false brothers that had come in and false teaching. And uh, I was just thinking to myself about the fruit of my ministry. I've been working so hard and there's just... I can count on one hand the, the true believers that have come to know you, Lord, over, over all these years. And God, why don't, why don't you do something? And just feeling about so depressed almost. And you go down this, this doubter's, doubter's lane or full of doubt and just feeling kind of like throwing in the towel. You know... Um, another thing here in verses 11 to 13. You see the remedy. This is the answer right here. And so I want you to get a hold of this. This message has been very depressing so far. But here, here it gets exciting and encouraging. Verses 11 to 13. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. God is talking to Elijah. He's lodged in this cave of depression. And God just says to him, Go out. Get out of the cave. Go out on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? The same question. What are you doing here, Elijah? 
I already asked you before, what are you doing? Let me ask you again, what are you doing in that cave of depression? You've got to get out. And it's almost like God is saying, you know who I am. You know that I am all-powerful, omnipotent God. And in case you forgot, let me just give you some samples of my power. And he sends this hurricane of wind, ripping apart the mountains. And then after that, he sends this this, uh, earthquake, just shredding everything else. And then after that, this just inferno of fire over the whole mountain, displaying his great omnipotence and power. And you know, God wasn't in any of those things, it says. But then it implies God was in the small whisper. And it's interesting, the, the, the hurricane, the earthquake, the fire, that doesn't say it got him out of the cave. You can experience the greatest of miracles in your life or see people raised from the dead, but really the thing that will get you out of the cave, the thing that will transform your life, is God's still, small voice in His Word. The Bible. He whispers to us through His Word. And that's what it says. It it, it doesn't say that He came out through the earthquake, the fire, the wind. But then when He hears a small voice in verse 13, Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face in his cloak. He went out. He got out of the cave. This is the key. You want out of the cave? Listen to God's still small voice right here in His Word. You might see tremendous miracles, and those aren't guarantees that they're going to get you out of the cave, that God's going to really work in your life. His Word is what works in your life. Read it. Meditate it on it. Study it. Saturate yourself with God's Word. This is what got him out of the cave. And then after that, he's still in verses 14 to 18. He's, he's out of the cave. Praise the Lord. He's out of the cave, but he's still, he's got this kecha. He's still criticizing. And and he he says the same thing. He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am the only one left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael, king of Syria. Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mahalalah. I can't say that word. You shall anoint him to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave seven thousand in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So thinking there about the, he's got this problem still. Lord, I've been so zealous, and no one else is following you. There's nobody else. There's no other believers out there in search of the church. And the church is absent. We're we're the true brothers and sisters. And I, I want to say here that Depression exaggerates the problem. A lot of times we're depressed and we've got this problem and we just we can't figure out how to deal with it. And the devil puts these ideas into our head and exaggerates the problem. He thinks he's the only one, which wasn't even close to true. 
There in the last verse, verse 18, God tells him, I've got 7,000 out there. You know what? I actually, I don't have to tell you. I can just keep this secret to myself. But I'm going to tell you, there's 7,000 people out there. You're totally messed up. In Spanish, they say Coca-Cola. Estás Coca-Cola. The devil puts these ideas into your head and you're depressed about something and then you start to exaggerate the problem. You know what? In marriage, this happens a lot. Uh, sometimes Amy will say something and I start thinking about it and I like dwell on it for a couple of days. And then I'm like, it's this barrier between Amy and I and, and I'm just, we're not communicating and then finally it blows up and we talk about it and I say, well, you said this a week ago. And she's like, I didn't say that. This is what I said. And in my head over the week, it, evolution is, is true. It evolves in my head. And it ends up being something that Amy did not even say. And the devil plants this idea and just twists it and exaggerates the problem. And you get into this cave and it's just the whole thing's totally blown out of proportion. And God tells him, you know what? You're blowing the whole thing out of proportion. You don't understand. And I really don't even have to tell you, but I'll tell you, there's 7,000 out there. I mean, I, I, it doesn't say what Elijah felt there. I would, as, as Elijah, man, I would just be infused. 7,000? I'm not alone. I don't care if I, I can't see them, but if you're telling there's 7,000, yeah! Maybe revival could happen. And God, He kind of he hides these things. And He doesn't have to tell us. In eternity, we'll know. Once I was, I was in that same time, I was just kind of depressed about the results of ministry. And Lord, I'm trying so hard. And sometimes I'm preaching to thousands of people every week. And I just, Lord, could I just see some results? I was feeling down. And I got invited to preach at this, this event of, of Baptist churches. And I didn't hardly know anybody. And they had heard a sermon of mine online or something like that. And so they invited me. It was about two hours away from Tarapoto, our, our town in the jungle. And so I went to these, these, this town that I'd never been to before. And I get there, and there's, there's about a thousand people that uh, had come. They had, they had uh, set up this event in the main square. And so I preached to all these people. And, and I got done, and it was kind of like stunned silence afterwards. And everyone's really thinking. And I just went, and I sat down in the back. And I, I, was, actually, I was depressed because I... Lord, I just gave everything I had and just and nothing. I mean, everyone's thinking. It seems like you're working on consciences. But I just, I just, I long to see broken hearts and true conversion and the transformation of lives. Why can I just see it, Lord? Just see a little bit. And as I'm praying this, this family comes up to me with about 50 people behind them. And his family comes up and they're like, Hermano Miqueas, you don't know us, but we heard some of your messages online a few years ago, and we were, we were unbelievers, and the whole family, we trusted in Christ, listened to those messages, and we started a church in our house, and now all these 50 people right here have all come to know the Lord in our village, and our church is growing, and we're doing evangelism, and I was like... Are you serious? Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, what an encouragement. I had like exaggerated this problem. And the Lord didn't have to reveal that. 
you can save that information for eternity. And you don't know as you go and you go forth with the gospel and you work in different ministries that the Lord's given you and your gifts and abilities, and you, don't, you can't see the results. One day in heaven, maybe, maybe not. Maybe in heaven God will reveal those results. And really, he doesn't have to do that. But oftentimes we exaggerate this problem. And then look, in verses 15 and 16, I already read it, but God gave him a job. He first, he got him out of the cave with the still small voice of the Bible, the scriptures. Whoa, I'm over time. I'm ending, I'm ending right here. And, and, and he said, basically God says, go. He gets out of the cave and then he says, I'm giving you a mission. I want you to anoint these two guys as kings and then... Anoint prophet Elisha. He's going to take your place. You're going to hand the baton off to him. He gave him a mission. And I think this is really key. In order to get out of, out of that, that pit of depression that easily we can fall into and spiral down into in the spiritual battle and we become irrational and, and we're stressed and all these different things I've been talking about here. God gets us out with his word and then he gives you a mission. Every one of us has different gifts and abilities. He wants to use you with the gifts and abilities that you have. Maybe your mission isn't to go to China or to Africa or to Peru. He's given you a mission right here with the gifts and abilities that he's given to you. And you've got a mission. When you go, you get out of that cave, you listen to the still small voice of his word, and then you go on that mission that he's given to you. And you've got one. Maybe you need to just get down on your knees and with the Bible open and pray, God, what is the mission that you have for me? But that just fills your life with meaning and purpose. Standing on God's word, that still small voice, and he's given me a mission. And you see after this, I love this, in conclusion, Elijah, he gets out of that horrible cave and he goes on to do amazing things in the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything that you read about this guy, it's like he gets back that daring courage and faith that you see before. All of a sudden, it's back. And he never turns back again. After this, you've got Elijah. He goes, he gets Elisha to accompany. accompany. He's no longer isolating himself. He's got his buddy at his side. His daring faith boldly condemns Ahab and Jezebel to their faces. I don't care if you cut my head off. And God protected him. But he boldly confronts Ahab and, 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 uh, and Jezebel. And then he goes with courage and he confronts Ahaziah, their son, later on, to his face. Later on, you've got these three groups of, of soldiers that come to, to take custody, take him into custody. And God sends fire down on each one. And, and it's like he's, he's not afraid of these guys at all. And then it seems that he started these schools of the prophets in different places. In 2 Kings chapter 2, it talks about where he's going from Gilgal to Jericho to the Jordan. Um, there's one other place in there. But in each one of the places, there are these sons of the prophets. Sons of the prophets. Sons of the prophets. It seems like Elijah started these Bible institutes in different places around Israel where he's training prophets. Where he's training preachers and evangelists to go ahead, leading the nation of Israel in repentance and revival. And it seems like the Lord used him greatly to start these different Bible institutes almost, you could say. Later on, he splits the Jordan River, walks across on dry land with Elisha, this great miracle. And then 
He literally ends his life on earth in a blaze of glory. He ends in a blaze of glory. The chariots of fire take him into heaven. He graduates. Life on earth, done. Mission accomplished. Oh, I want to finish like that. Finish well. Old guys, old women, finish well. Maybe young people that you're going to get in a car accident later this year and die. Finish well. Hopefully that doesn't happen. I'm not a prophet. But to finish well. And so, if you find yourself, you're in that cave. Yeah, I don't know what you're going through in life. I just, I preach myself everywhere I go. I easily find myself spiraling into a cave. And the key is, listen to God's still small voice. And then obey when He gives you a mission. And He says, go. Take that mission seriously and finish in a blaze of glory. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Word and how it encourages us. Even though we fall asleep on You, even though our our thinking just gets all messed up sometimes and we've exaggerated the problem and and we're just thinking irrationally and, and... We've isolated ourselves and we're just, we're running from our problems. God, we thank you that you come to us gently and you wake us up. And you wake us up again. And you give us just what we need. You fill our tank and we realize we've got to get to your mount. Got to get into your presence. Lord, even there, so easily we fall into that pit. We thank you that through the still small voice of your word, you get us out and you give us a mission. Lord, I pray for those that are maybe in a pit right now. Those that have fallen asleep under a tree. Pray that this word, this chapter, this story, would help them to get out of that cave. That they would open up your your word and that you would speak to them. Speak to me. Speak to us, Lord, through your word. And then help us to see that mission that you've given to us. And go about it in a way that glorifies you. Filling our life with meaning and purpose as we live for you. God, we pray that you would stamp eternity on our eyeballs. Put our lives into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.